Hi everyone, welcome to Let's Talk About Skills Baby. I am your host, Kelly Bailey. Each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful, how they develop those skills, and their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills help you live your best life. This week I'm joined by Luca Perry, Hi, Luca. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, great to be with you. I wanted to give a little background on Luca. Um, and, and man, these are some major accomplishments, I'm just going to say. <laughs> but I need to say it because this is like well-earned. So Luca works globally to enable a world of thriving learners across schools, companies, and organizations. He speaks on innovation, leadership, and change, having worked with thousands of leaders and educators from diverse contexts all around the world. He speaks five languages. I mean, that's just like, <laughs> I love it. Um, he's visited over 80 countries, which I'm definitely jealous about. Um, he holds two master's degrees, one in instructional leadership from the University of Melbourne and another in applied linguistics, and has also completed executive studies at Harvard and a residency, is it at the D School? Yeah. Okay, at the Design D School at Stanford. I am totally not familiar with the D School. What is that? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing multidisciplinary <sighs> institute, which is housed within Stanford itself. And so if you're a student at Stanford, you get to kind of cross enroll. And it's one of the most amazingly creative spaces I've been lucky to hang out in, frankly. And they're doing some remarkable work, particularly around equity. That is great. amazing. That is amazing. I, and I, I, I'm, I'm just surprised that I haven't heard about it. Um, well, and he is also the CEO of Learning Future. Um, he is committed to transforming learning structures, systems, and societies so that we better empower individuals to develop the key human capabilities that matter most now and into the future. And he also sits on the executive of Karanga, the Global Alliance for Social Emotional Learning and Life Skills which connects the global education community at the forefront of the future of education and social emotional learning to empower children, educators, and communities across the globe. That is like uh, amazing. Um, so I think you've rephrased that even, you know, <laughs> you've done a great job rephrasing that. I might take your, your version. No. I'll send you the copy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. No, but it's, yeah. it's really impressive. I mean, honestly, and I, I think like based on all of the conversations that I get to have, I just really absolutely admire the work that you're doing. So it's such a pleasure to have you here with us today. But I've given sort of this high level overview. I just want you to share with us a little bit about your story more um, in depth. I'd love to hear about kind of how you've navigated what brought, what led you here today now. Uh, Kelly, first thing I'd say is there's so much alignment in skills, you know, Let's talk about skills. So I'm incredibly excited for this conversation. Uh, I would say in, in summary, I, I'm, I'm an educator and I started my career as an educator and I really do imagine I'll finish it if I ever do as an educator. There's something about being involved in the development of human beings in the beautifully dynamic process that we see either in our roles as, as, as teachers, as leaders, as organizational leaders, as parents and caregivers, whatever the case might be. So that's what I've become just really quite fascinated by. Um, I'm also a massive nerd. And I think you can tell that from my bio. Like, I just love the process of learning. And Amazing. for me, it's, it's the constant emergence of something new. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I hold my passion tightly, but my ideas lightly, as the saying yeah. goes. So, yeah. you know, I, I am fully prepared to be changed by our conversation today. And I'm sure that I'll walk away a different person because that's frankly what a good conversation, dialogue, discussion, so true. Socratic debate is about. Uh, that's and true. I realized I that, that after our first conversation, by the way. Yeah, I know, right? Which is, I, I so was, I'm glad we get I a second joking. one. <laughs> when I left my room after that night, because that was like the last call of my night, I was like, yes. <laughs> and, and your kids rolled their eyes as normal as it are. She's had another conversation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's been, yeah, I mean, like many, that's, I just am fascinated by learning and, and how it is linked to agency and therefore empowerment. Uh, because, you know, frankly, 
and COVID-19 where we sit right now has really not just disrupted, but it's revealed, you know, I, I like this insight, which is crises disrupt, but they also reveal. And so the, it really has, you know, taken off kind of the covers of some of the parts of our societies and our structures and institutions as well, be they democratic ones, be they educational ones, be they health care, you know, which has been an enormous focus and rightly so. So that it's just, it's interesting that I find myself here, you know, and, and (laughs) I don't necessarily want to quote a white guy, um, you know, Steve jobs, but he, he does have a good insight here, which is we can connect the dots looking backwards, but it's hard to connect them looking forwards. And in some ways I look backwards on, you know, my experiences so far, the way I've tried to contribute to the world, uh, and it makes sense, but that doesn't mean I have a plan from this point moving forward. You know, it's constantly emergent. And, I'm, and I am lucky to work on a range of great projects with really wonderful friends and colleagues from around the world. Uh, I started my career as a teacher. And actually, as, actually, after high school, I moved to Europe for a year and a half. I moved to Ireland for right. six months, to Dublin. And immediately, I couldn't understand what my wonderful kind of you know, teammates were saying some of the time in in North (laughs) County, Dublin, playing the great sport that's Gaelic football. Uh, But it was a a rite of passage for me. I was a young man. Uh, I just finished year 12 and I moved across the world to a new country. Mm -hmm. And that was a really formative part of my life because I started to ask some of the bigger questions, which is actually, what am I most interested in pursuing? Uh, I spent 12 months after that traveling across cities and communities uh, different countries, different cultures. And I was just totally taken by the diversity of something like Europe and the amazing yeah. history and languages and gastronomy. And, you know, and of course also feeling frankly, like a little ignorant about, you know, being a, a you know, an Australian and born in Australia, but both my parents, you know, migrating by boat to Australia in the 1960s. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, Mum from Greece, dad from Wales. Okay. So, Hence the, the Greek Welsh name, Luca Parry. That makes uh, sense. But, you know, yeah. So I, I, in some ways it was amazing going back and exploring. Okay, well, who, who am I? What have my ancestors, you know, done? Where have they come from? What's their story? How do I understand that so I can kind of be the author of my own? Uh, and I, I came back after those experiences of, you know, saying I'm an Aussie, I'm an Australian, and realizing that I didn't actually, I hadn't traveled and kind of done the work, the inquiry about, what is the history of my own country that I can now call home Australia? Yeah. Um, so that, that was a interesting insight. And also the ignorance of standing next to someone, you know, a Swiss and Swiss are always used as the example who are just code switching seamlessly between four languages. Oh yeah. And you know, I'm there as the kind of monolingual going, Oh, well, I really wish I had a bit more capacity in this right. department. Right. So, so that was it because really at 18, I, I spoke only English. Um, I was, became deeply curious about the world over the year and a half. And I have always been curious about the world, particularly through my formal education, which in many ways did equip me, um, particularly through arts and, ex- and the co-curricular activities. Right. But I love to curious. do drama, singing, musicals, performances, all of those. And I'd love to uh-huh. unpack that with you. But, you know, when I came back to Australia, I changed out of commerce, uh, which I had gotten into it, into education. And the reason for that is I had become so interested in learning. And I also realized that education is some ways it's, it's selling. It's, mm-hmm. it's actually though it's, it's trying to com- to create an experience where someone can grow, can evolve uh, and can step into their power. And so oh, I might not have used those terms back then as a, you know, 21 year old or 20 year old, whatever I was. But then I, I experienced four years at, at a university in South Australia um, became super interested in languages in particular. Started learning my mum's language, modern Greek, yep. uh, from scratch, sadly. Wow. Um, but I was doing that and then also started learning Spanish. Got to live and do an exchange in Chile for six months. Again, on that cultural interface, linguistic yes. interface. There's nothing quite like as an adult being thrown into those types of environments and going, yes. I have no idea what's happening. You, you just, your capabilities are really on yep. show. Yep. for everybody to see in that public failure and embarrassment. And I've got lots of funny stories from those times. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> uh, also, also, I realized that, you know, often, and we know this from language learning research, often it's the, the shame that people experience in failure, yes. which is the greatest barrier to being a successful learner in that context. Isn't that crazy? So I'm a big advocate. It is crazy, right? But there's yeah. something happens to us as adults mm-hmm. in particular 
yes. where we shy away from vulnerability and yet the learning pit as we call it in education is literally yeah. the best way that we can learn it's the most I just, effective it's the way we accelerate i literally just posted something today about some research that um the company that i work for our parent company strata education network has um been doing some survey research and it said the second reason why most americans don't go back to school or finish out education is because they don't believe in themselves wow that's that's like that's the bit that's exactly the challenge i think that through my through all of the work that i yeah. am trying to do powerfully not always uh that that's exactly it you know, how do we step how do people step into their confidence uh mm -hmm. step into a self-concept where they they don't see their actions as the core of their identity. They have value regardless of what they do. Right. And this is why well-being right now is a massive thing. It's we are not our job, right? We aren't. We are more expansive than that. And you know, this takes on lots of spiritual dimensions, right? But in terms of our own empowerment and agency, you know, the idea of feeling seen and valued is the way that we create positive work cultures and positive educational cultures. Yes. You know, how, do, how can someone step in? And, and we know this with cultural safety, right? Which is an enormous theme in the United States at the moment in particular, but all, yeah. all over the world and yes. rightly so. How do people feel? Because there's a difference between being safe and feeling safe. Exactly. And this is why the field of social emotional learning, I think is incredibly important. You know, people say soft skills and it's not my favorite terminology, but ultimately we're talking about often the same constructs, yes. self-regulation, you mm -hmm. know, how do I, how do I have an emotional regulation capability so that when I feel elevated, I can soothe myself down so right. that I can engage in the most powerful learning possible. Although all emotions have utility. And the point is we should be outraged about some of the things taking place. Right. It's not just about resilience and people talk about resilience all the time. There's a, ch there's a challenge with resilience, which is, you know, just tough it out. Just pull up your socks, get on with it. Right. Well, actually, no, there should in some states be resistance, not resilience, right. because it's that resistance and that revolution that we've seen across social change, across our collective human histories mm -hmm. that has created powerful social movements and social change. And so this is, there's, there's all these tensions that I think fit in this kind of skills-based world uh, where ultimately we should always work out what our definition of success is first. And yeah. in my view, you won't be surprised to hear Kelly because we've had this conversation already. <laughs> it's actually a sense of collective well-being. You yes. know, our destinies are intertwined. It's literally that. the definition of a community. Yeah. The individual is a completely false construct. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense when you place it alongside other human beings. Yep. So what's the common unity towards which we are? We are what are we fighting for? What are we working towards? It's a better world, a juster, kinder you know, more prosperous as well, because right. of course there is an economic piece to this there around is. economic empowerment, but, but it's not enough. It's like, how do we create a holistic thrivability or flourishing frame of reference? It feels like this do. missing piece, you know, it's like this because we've been, there's all of this great work that's been going on. Um, but at the end of the day, when people have low self-confidence or they can't, you know, adjust their emotions to the necessary, you know, and, and to continue. And then when they're in an environment or in a culture, um, either be at work or wherever, where they're not feeling, you know, again, it's that feeling because it doesn't matter what the perception is, it's how they feel. Um, yeah. But all of this has been going on for, I can't, I mean, it's, it feels like for me, it's been my whole life. This is a huge revelation for me now in this time. It's, it's, it's happened over the last few years, but, you know, there's just a certain way that sort of like society looks at how people feel and yeah that for for me for sure that whole like tough it out <laughs> that yeah. was that was the way <laughs> yeah. i've got absolutely and you know in many elements it still is the way it's the kind of old school this oh, is yeah. how we do things here my my personal view and I, I there's some pretty good research um that backs this up and it's very well synthesized communicated by daniel pink for example mm -hmm. you know when he talks about drive and motivation and this is the thing called self-determination theory, which is the same idea, you know, which looks at agency and mastery and these other components that are, that are crucial. Uh, I've, I've got to speak to the work of Mark Brackett, who's a good friend and colleague of mine from Yale Center for mm -hmm. Emotional Intelligence. He's the foundation director there, but he 
and his sister in a book called Permission to Feel. Oh. And so they've been doing work in emotional intelligence for a very long time. You know, yeah. they've been really kind of at the vanguard of that. And so this is the idea that we need to give ourselves and each other permission to feel mm -hmm. because we have to acknowledge that we are emotional beings that think, not just thinking beings yes. that have these weird things called feelings from time to time. Yeah. It is literally the integrated nature of that. And the neuroscientists now are validating that in terms of the neural yeah. structures of our brain. So, you know, the emotion and the cognition are integrally connected. So the idea of just, you know, get on with it, suck it up, take a spoonful of concrete, which is a saying sometimes, you know, to harden up. And yeah. of course, this, this implicates the field of masculinity in a really big way also. I thought I was so, hoping you, know, you were going to go here because I was like, ooh. <laughs> well, all these terms, it's you so hear them true. as a man oh, you know, yeah. and I identify as a man. And so, you know, and particularly in different types of cultures, sometimes they're sporting cultures and, sure. you know, some, some organizations do it so much better. My view is that we just need an expanded understanding of masculinity, yes. you know, yeah. because I think it's actually the suppression of these emotions, which is one of the root causes yeah. for so much of the like completely horrendous yes. outcomes yes. that we see. They don't know because I, I feel like off. So it's interesting because I think of this with adults, but I find that it's especially it's easier to see in children. So I have yeah. two they don't girls, hide it as, right? Because, know. yeah, they can't. So I have two girls and a boy. And it's mm. funny because what I noticed was as adults, what it looks like from the outside is that, again, generally speaking, right, women tend to seem, right, the society tells us, right, that we are yeah. weaker, that we, all these things, right? Men are supposed to be strong, masculine, all those things. But what I noticed in my young children was that my girls are really, really strong. And at some point, they're going to lose that because like society and I try to foster it, all those things, right? We can talk about that later, but my son, he is like, you know, that term people call like mama's boy. And I've heard it so often. And people would tell me before I had a, a boy, like he, they just love their mommies. You know, he is just very needy. And, and again, this is, I'm not saying it like it's a bad thing. It's just so juxtaposed. I can't even say the word, but you know what I mean? It's so yeah. different from what we see as adults. And I'm like, at some point they lose this. He's very emotional. He, when he's angry, he doesn't know. And when he's sad, he cries, right? Like, but he, at some point they lose this. And I'm just so curious about this concept of like, where is it at what point, if they naturally come into the world, be, being able to express all these emotions, does that just get shut off? Yeah. As there's a, there's a lot in that. And <laughs> I wouldn't proclaim myself as an expert in any sense, but I, I do, I do use a lot of my time to try to understand, you know, human behavior, I would yeah. say. And teachers in particular are in some ways the experts of human behavior because you have 30 up to 30 human beings, some parts oh, of the yeah. world up to 80 or hundred human beings in a room together. And so all you're, you're seeing constant human dynamics, you know, psychology played out laid bare. Uh, and you bring up some really good points. The one thing I would say as an applied linguist, which is one of the hats I, I wear, because um, I'm very passionate about that as well, is, you know, we have lots of interesting work about the way that we frame things. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we, are, you know, and often we don't even know we're doing this in our professional roles, in our personal roles. Oh, I bet. But, you know, the difference, for example, between, and you've, you've talked about your daughters as being strong. Mm -hmm. Now, the moment that, a woman in particular, in this, my view clearly, uh, is not called strong, but called bossy. Mm -hmm. You know, automatically you start to taint that behavior and you are starting to say, you're trying to normalize that that is not the correct behavior, right? right. And that's hugely problematic. So, you know, I have, a, I have a young niece and I use these, well, and you know, yes, princess and, and fairies and all the other stuff, but also assertive and yeah. strong and creative. Yeah. you know, and powerful. And though, you know, that's, that's not the domain of just men. That's the domain of human beings right. and we all play different roles. And so ultimately it's, you know, what, what identity are we becoming constantly? Yeah. And I think but that's, I feel like, that's I the feel like just to add, I think with boys too, though, like not to get it wrong because oh. I'm all about empowering women, but it's seriously no, it's does have to happen with boys too, right? Like we have absolutely it is okay. You know, I, I actually noticed this because again, I'm sure my husband, when he was a child, it was like, stop crying. You're a man, you know, like all these things that happened. 
And I caught him yeah. saying it to my son the other day. And I was like, no, no, no. It's totally okay to cry if you're upset. It's, it's fine. Mm. So I think we also have to do the same thing with boys that we do, you know, just like allow them and, and make it be okay. Yeah. Well, one, one thing that, I mean, one thing I would, I would think about is even with something like needy, I would reframe that to expressive. No, that's a good so point. Because, As I was saying that, example, I was like, oh. Right? I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not an expert. I don't have children yet, right? But um, again, like we, it's so embedded into the it pieces is. that we are. And, and, so, and, and, I, and I guess the link to this in any space, a corporate space, an organizational culture, it, it is the cultural piece. Mm-hmm. The language we use helps to reinforce cultures. And so and some cultures are safe and courageous and others are not. And you can't. So how do we enable people to be their whole selves and be fully self-expressed? I mean, and that goes for men and for women, you yeah. know? And so that's, that's just an interesting kind of connected piece to whenever we're talking about skills and particularly things like emotional regulation. Yes. Uh, and I'd absolutely recommend the work of Mark Brackett and the, and the amazing team at Yale's center for emotional I'm intelligence. Look that up. <laughs> it's excellent. And the ruler methodology, right? And that's just an acronym. You know, how do we recognize, understand, label, express, and regulate emotions? Amazing. So it's, and they do some great work with schools. I mean, and, and they are just one of a, ma- a number of amazing organizations doing great work in this space. And uh, it's why I'm such an advocate for social emotional learning, because if we can enable every young person as early as possible to understand how their emotions, you know, are information and how we can understand them and then use the right word to label them and then express them in healthy ways. And sometimes a healthy way is being enraged by some injustice and then doing something about it, by the way, in my Mm -hmm. view. And then, but ultimately how's the regulation piece? Because what we have seen in my view with COVID is agency shift away from teachers and in some ways shift away from CEOs and you know, leaders in, in lots of different sectors sure. because everyone's working remotely. Yes. And so the idea that actually I have agency about, you know, where I sit and how I sit and currently I'm sitting outside. I made that decision right. if you were in an office, you were, you know, would be sitting at a table and the level of agency wouldn't be there. So self-regulation has been one of the key skills of 2020 but it's one of the key skills always, but it's, I think it's just been revealed ultimately because, you know, can we stay on task uh, with the crazy levels of ambiguity and uncertainty and disruption that we see? And that's clearly like why we should talk about skills and why we should talk about things like self-regulation being embedded into the learning and development approach of organizations. Um, you know, things like autonomy and mastery, like dissolving hierarchies so that they become holocracies, you know, looking at leads like out of Zappos uh, and, you know, reinventing organizations, some of the Lulu work, you know, how do we create, you know, creative organizations that aren't rigid because that age of rigidity is gone. We need kind of agility um, right now. And there's a, a set of skills and I think they are skills that still aren't totally centralized, even though we have industry now from a demand side. And also I would say, much of the supply side mm-hmm. in terms of education systems starting to talk the same language about the key role of skills and the, the piece beyond skills, which is the key role of character or dispositions, yeah. which I'm also super I passionate about. And learning about. I was like, I know we don't call them skills per se, but I think they really are skills. I mean, you know, again, I'm not a fan of soft skills, that word either. I tend to say like human skills or, you know, um, about a thousand words. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But but it's, you know, but the same Mm. concept, I mean, it's still, to me, that's all still skills. So it's, um, Mm. but I love, so how, I mean, I feel like we, it's so interesting to me because when we started this conversation, it was like this, you finding that learning was just your passion and you being so curious about learning yourself. I'm wondering in, at which point you realized like, okay, so I love learning. I'm super curious. I want to now like pay that forward to other people. That, that was as a, it was as a young man in Europe, in all honesty, I started to realize, I was like, wow, this is, you know, in, in particular living in, in places like Dublin, um, in a, a wonderful, you know, working class suburb with some just, you know, other, other young men and, you know, going out and doing what young men do, you know, going to, to pubs and to clubs and playing football in the cold darkness <laughs> of November in Dublin. But um, it was also just, I, I became 
like aware of something and that is how education and you know the enrichment activities the expansive activities that i had been involved in really just equipped me uh and how it it is the key to open doors and that i i became in some ways i became aware of my educational privilege because i went to a good primary school and a good secondary school uh, and that what isn't the case for wow. you know billions of people around the world and young people around the world so that's why I became passionate about it because rather than, you know, selling a product I didn't believe in as a kind of in a, in a business sense, I, I just could not see myself in that space at all. I felt, you know, like education is the key yeah. lever that we have to, you know, change. I mean, it's the key condition. And I would actually, I increasingly use less of those mecha mechanistic metaphors like mm -hmm. levers and cogs and interventions sure. and sure. more of the organic ones, right? Like it's the key condition that a society has is high quality education for all where we teach all children as whole children, as my colleague, Stephanie Jones at Harvard would say. And that's, that's where that's the interrelation of social justice meets social emotional learning. Yeah. And, and that ultimately is why I became so passionate about it. I also realized that it's my, it's the key asset that we have. It's the greatest asset all of us have is our capacity to learn. Yeah. to unlearn, relearn, learn throughout life in lifelong, life-wide, life-deep ways, all oh, of that kind crazy. of stuff. But Alvin Toffler said years ago, you know, the illiterate of the 21st century aren't those that cannot read and write. It will be those that cannot unlearn, relearn and learn. Right. And I, I foundationally believe that. That's not to say literacy and numeracy aren't foundational skills that we all need because they are, but they are the floor, not the ceiling, so right. to speak. So we need right. to go so far beyond that. And so that's just been my own experience, my own journey as a learner. That's and so, so I try to share that passion with everybody. No, I love it because most people don't find that passion at a young age, you know? So I find, I just find that portion of it. I mean, amongst all of the things you've done, just that portion of it. So fascinating. Um, and I wonder if, because you, you know, help and teach people and are so curious about learning, like how could you make some recommendations to young people that might be listening? how can they go and find their passion, their special gift, whatever the thing mm. may be, that may be like, is there some way to unlock that earlier? Yeah. Uh, great question, Kelly. I would say, and again, like language always matters. It's the way that we understand the mm -hmm. world um, primarily. And so I would say that we can't find our passion. We have to build our passion or, become our passion. So this is interesting stuff with complexity theory, right? Around emergence. So mm -hmm. recommendation number one is think of your life as an experiment and create as many micro experiments as possible. You just do not know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. you know the old saying, uh, to be it, you have to see it. You know, like how do you aspire to be something you have never heard of before, right? right. And, and that is literally the future of work is, <laughs> so you know, the, in 15 years time, the, the 10 biggest jobs probably don't yet exist, right? But they will emerge yeah. through the complex dynamic systems of society and of, and of economy. So number one, experiment as much as possible. And if I could give myself advice as a 15 year old, it would be just if you're interested in something or you're like, I don't know about that, email somebody or call yeah. someone or watch a YouTube clip and learn about whatever that thing is. Also, we have to think so far beyond a job. I do not ask. So recommendation two is don't ever ask, what do you do? Oh. it's just not a question to ask anymore. Right. Largely because it's, first of all, our jobs are going to constantly evolve because right. that's, again, that's the emerging future. Way. But number two is that we immediately, we step into a status piece because, yeah. you know, as human beings, we're constantly trying to manage our status within a room, within a Completely. tribe, within et cetera, in an yeah. organization, in a school, yeah. in a classroom. So, you know, number two is start to ask more interesting questions. Mm -hmm. Things like, what is it that most excites you about the world? Like, you know, which is a great question. My other favorite question that I've heard is what is the greatest misconception people hold about you? And the reason that's so good is because it's a self-awareness question, but it's yes. also a perspective taking question. So, okay, who am I? You have to contend with mm -hmm. how might people see me? How might that be wrong? Like right. it's a very complex question. Right? So, so number one, experiment as much as possible. 
literally call, get people on the phone, ask to be mentored. If you're interested in something, test it out first. Do not nice. put, do not do a five year degree to become, <laughs> I don't know, a lawyer, an engineer without saying, can I spend a day in an engineering firm? And what's funny is when you ask people, what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no, or they just never get back to you because their inbox is overflowing like all of our inboxes. So those, those are the two big things I would say. But number three is, yeah, don't, don't think about knowledge. Think first about character. Um, and this is kind of, it depends how heavy you want to take this. You know, I have, I've got my eulogy pre-written. Now that's, that's heavy for some people, right? But actually that's about who I want to be at the end of my life, right? One thing we can all agree on is we're not going to live forever, even though Ray Kurzweil and others are trying to work on that so that we can, (laughs) some of the futurists in our societies. But you know, so like, what do I want to be? What do I want someone to be able to stand up and say about me and the contribution that I made as a human being? That's, that's the most important thing. And then based on that, what skills do I need? And then what knowledge high quality content knowledge do I need? And that is literally the way I think we should design all learning and development generally in corporate, in corporations, in the not-for-profit sector, in government and in educational institutions, tertiary, secondary, primary, early. That'd be so amazing. Cause right now it's kind of like, you're just put on your path and you're like, here, you make some choices along the way, but it's pretty standard. Yeah. And what even is the path? Like who's, whose path? Is it our path? where are we giving away you know and and i don't go into this whole field but the whole idea of bayesian machine learning algorithms right so where we have like those paths in what we know and understand are they converge they're being converged by tech to take us down particular ways so that we get the right type of marketing and you know advertising personalized advertising Mm -hmm. and that's because that's the business model the problem with that is that how do we stay expansive how do we stay open-minded how do we have deep conversations with people with whom we disagree quite strongly. Yes. That's really important for civic, for the way that democracy functions, for example. Otherwise we're all just yelling at each other and no one is actually listening. So that's a, right. that's a whole nother piece <laughs> there as well to that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'd think. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, uh, and this is a really great mantra, I think. Um, actually I'll say one more thing. Yeah. That. And, that, and that's the idea. There's a great book called Designing Your Life. Um, which oh is my by gosh, some I just ordered that. Colleagues at Stafford. Yeah, so they're, you yeah. Know, they, a lot of that work came out of the D School, uh, which Design Thinking meets Lifestyle. So it's Lifestyle okay. Design. Okay. So there's a great piece there called Odyssey Planning. So for a long time in my life, I would just set a yearly plan and then do quarterly plans and then monthly and then weekly. And that's how I lived my life, right? I had a mm-hmm. set path. That was great for achieving, right? But of course, the downside is then you see your value as achievement only. That's a right. whole other piece to that, right? And that's True. the case. Imposter syndrome is a manifestation of that and everything else. Yep. Um, so engage in odyssey planning. So as a young person or frankly, anybody right now that is recently unemployed, underemployed, unsure of where you currently are, is reimagining what they want their life to be, sit down and don't write a plan. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Write five plans and call them odyssey plans. And this is coming straight out of designing your life. Okay. And so an odyssey is what's the next five years? Like what is one thing if you chose? what's one path you could not walk, but literally build as you move forward. And it might be cool. Well, I'm really interested in being a school principal or a teacher. So here's my five year plan to do that. But I'm also really interested in being an author. So here's another five year plan. I'm really interested in being kind of a podcast host and a television presenter. So that's another plan. And here's my other one. And then build all of the pieces of your life into that, your family, your relationships, right. your health and well-being, alongside the way you contribute economically. And, and then sit back and go, okay, of all these five plans, which one lights me up the most? Which one am I most confident, am I most excited by, am I most passionate by? Mm-hmm. And what that does is lots of things, but one thing it does is it reminds us of our own agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we have multiple examples of people that have beaten the odds, etc. And, you know, it's not just about your individual empowerment. It's about breaking down structural barriers as well and creating enablers so that we can mm-hmm. create collective well-being and thriving for everyone. Mm-hmm. But at, at an individual level, it does enable you to choose and realize that we have choice. Um, and I think those are, that's once, a fantastic yeah. suggestion. I haven't, I hadn't heard that before, but I'm like, now I want to reframe how I think about my goals. <laughs> Well, you know, the goals are just goals that we currently choose. And so 
Yeah. One of the best things I've heard is don't, I don't write to-do lists anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I write, I get to do lists. Ooh. Very subtle shift. Very subtle, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's just a few words. Like, does it change anything? Well, maybe not. But for me, it's a constant reminder that I'm, I'm making a choice to do these, these things. And sometimes we just forget about the fact yeah. that, you know, yeah. we could hang up this call now if we wanted to, it wouldn't make sense, but you know, like literally we could do do crazy things whenever we wanted to, but right. we don't often do that. But the mantra I want to share as well, and this is one that's helped me a lot, particularly yeah. as I try to be hyper engaged in a whole bunch of ways mm-hmm. is, you know, forgive yourself every night and recommit every morning. Ooh. And it's a beautiful one. And I first heard it from a, a wonderful educator called Jeff Lee, who's doing amazing work in New York um, in, in a school network there. And it's this idea that, you know, we have to let things go after we've had our best crack and then sleep, rejuvenate. And then in the morning, let's recommit to the people we want to be, the things we want to do and the things we want to know in that order. It's so So. interesting because at night I do this thing where I list just in my head right before I go to bed, I do like three to five things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes right. they're significant and sometimes it was just coffee, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, Coffee then, is significant. It I is, disagree right? with you on that. It's very important. <laughs> yeah. But then I forgive myself for something. I have to list one to three that's things nice. in my head. And in the morning, that's the same. So when I wake up in the morning, I like, okay, what are the things that are just going to, you know, I know are going to get me going today. It's, it's just, and again, it just was something that I picked up through like personal development and that just seemed to work really well for me. And I'm like, wow, look, it's a thing. (laughs) That's, it's fantastic. That's really great. It's a gratitude intervention is what we talk about in positive psychology. Uh, And it's, and it's really, they're really powerful. It's, it's actually has one of the biggest jumps in subjective well-being is embedding three good things at the end of a day a gratitude letter, writing a thank you letter to somebody yes. as a random act, random yeah. acts of kindness. You know, when we look at great organizations, <laughs> you know, and it's some of the work I, I'm lucky to do is in this space around the learning future, you know, great learning happens when you've got a great culture, primarily, mm-hmm. not great strategy. It's culture that, you know, culture that eats strategy for breakfast and our key <laughs> strategy should be culture, you know, all that kind of stuff. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm so, that's so tangible and it's, and it's a great, it's a great it insight. You can't really um, be mad about things when you're grateful, you know, it's uh, it's harder. No, it actually helps you to notice yeah. and it does great things like starts to re-correct our negativity bias uh, that we have in our embedded in our human psychology, which helped <laughs> us survive by the way, across millennia. It did. It did. But it also means we pay attention to the worst things that are happening around us. Yeah. And we do need to shine a light on what is right. Mm-hmm. as a colleague Lee Waters from University of Melbourne would say. It's, it's true. We have to realign. We have to deliberately pay attention to the good things happening in our lives and in the world, lest we become overwhelmed and constantly anxious uh, yes. about all the stuff that's happening and so much of it being beyond our control. So, And it's such a good reminder, I would say, for so many things in life is just these reminders. Like some, t- you know, because... Sometimes yeah. it's, it, it seems like it's bad, but it's just our, you know, Neanderthal brain tricking us. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we just need to reframe the thoughts. Um, but the focus on the positive things I think is amazing. So we haven't really jumped in yet to your work and I'd love to, you know, <laughs> a little bit more. And I mean, this is all your work and I understand that, but I'd love for everyone to know a little bit more about the companies in particular, because it's just, again, just such amazing work that you're doing and and the focus and if anyone of course is interested i'd love for them to know a little bit more about it so that they can reach out great well uh i definitely live a portfolio life which is a very millennial thing to say so i take that as a given uh (laughs) but one of the uh one of the things i i'm lucky to do is you know is is to run a consulting company called the learning future and ultimately we work mainly in education but also with not-for-profits uh, and and some companies as well, private companies, mm-hmm. basically about how do we create environments and conditions, to your point, that we can enable everyone to do their best work continually. Yeah. So that brings in a lot of different disciplines. So it's not just core with cognitive science. It's also positive psychology. It's social emotional learning. It's leadership. It's communication and linguistics, and framing, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've... I'm doing some really great, exciting projects with kind of education systems 
particularly in Australia, which is where I'm currently based. Mm -hmm. um, not, you know, I've, I've got lots of flight credits that, that are just sitting there, of course. <laughs> I bet. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's just really interesting work. And, and the, the questions that we're trying to un unpack in that is mm -hmm. what is the emerging future of learning? And what does that mean for places where people convene? So classrooms, schools, organizations, not-for-profits, large yeah. organizations, companies, and crucially, government as well. You know, how do we ensure that when people walk into something, they feel like they are developing? And, and that is because in, for every single organization, if you don't consider yourself a learning organization already, you are already behind in that game. Wow. You know, it's ultimately the capacity of teams to come together to leverage the unique creative you know, capacity of oh, that yeah. team, of yeah. the human beings in the team and lots of work on that in terms of collective intelligence. Mm -hmm. you know, so how do, we, how do we do that and do that well? And there are some really great tactics, but, there are, but ultimately those tactics only work if you can create powerful cultures that, that do that. So yeah. that's kind of the learning future. And, and ultimately, like, how do we create documents that, that look at learning for well-being and how those two things are interrelated within education systems and get to do some interesting work and you know applying some of the learning from from the d school as well around design thinking and innovation and human-centered design how do we think in those terms so that's that's exciting and that's that's one of my day jobs the second is you know working alongside wonderful colleagues at karanga and it's that is the global alliance for social emotional learning and life skills and this is a a distributed alliance of individuals and organizations that are doing wonderful work already in different ways, often regionally, be, regionally based, mm -hmm. but all see kind of the potential of centering a focus on the social and the emotional alongside the cognitive, but wow. ignore the cognitive, yeah. but, but re correcting the imbalance that currently exists in the way that we measure, for example, that we measure success, uh, you know, as academic success, as opposed to, well, where's the social, where is the social school metrics in that? How do we focus on collaborative problem solving, for example? How do we focus on intercultural communication, on all these other skills that we know are the future skills and the central skills? And, you know, big organizations are looking at this kind of work all the time. The European Commission that we've done some work with, the OECD that we're linked in with, you know, the United Nations, UNESCO, everyone is kind of working on this, this approach. I'm, I'm hearing um, the animals now. <laughs> do you can hear that now? Well, I am. I am it in, you know, very authentic. country Queensland like at the moment. <laughs> No, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just saying uh, I've got horses and cows in, in front of me, um, which is a, a wonderful vista. So, so that's the work that we're doing there. And ultimately, our, we have a clear mission. And, you know, the vision is a thriving world where, where learners, including adults, are equipped with the skills they need for learning and life. Because uh, it's not just about school and it's not just yeah. about work. It's about life skills as well, yeah. which is actually what soft skills and SEL is called in much of the world. The non English life speaking skills, okay, right? Life skills, noted. Skills <laughs> but it's that's why we have social emotional learning and life skills because we're an inclusive, oh, I love it. you know, global alliance. So we have representation from every continent. We have a, a wonderful steering committee, and we effectively host different convenings. We're trying to be an ecosystem connector, mm -hmm. curator, and driver of action, which are the three verbs that we want to try to do. You know, so policymakers, practitioners, researchers basically yeah. all interested parties because wow. if we and and COVID has just accelerated this if we can seize this opportunity yes to centralize these types of human skills in our systems mm -hmm. plural which is means education systems but it also means the systems of how companies function yes that is going to we are leveraging the collective potential of human beings which yeah. we are not doing right now for so many reasons and many of them are historical around mass schooling, for example, or organizational rigidity and structures. Uh, you know, it, the Gallup polls around employee engagement just really outline that year after year, you know. So yeah. how many people are actively disengaged and tearing down the organization as opposed oh. to those that are actively engaged and anyone else being apathetic? You know, we need to really think differently about, about the way that we create structures and conditions and experiences Ultimately, what does it feel yeah. like to walk in? How valued and seen do you feel as an employee at any level? Um, that, that is all that kind of Karanga piece. And so I'd love people to, to jump on and yes. sign up. And that's Karanga, K-A-R-A-N-G-A dot org. But, you know, we're not selling anything. What we are doing is connecting an ecosystem of committed change makers, individuals, advocates, activists, yeah. uh, educators, Just scale the great work that's already happening. So definitely. Exactly. We're, 
we don't need to connect, create anything. We just need to connect people together, yeah. see what uh, what's emerging as as emerging best practices. Yes. Uh, and and of course, ones that work in different contexts because yeah. our world is incredibly diverse, and we should celebrate that. No, it's so true. And you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time. You know, if there's some great pieces to pull from, you know, from various countries, I think, like you said, that's just so helpful. Yeah, it's a it's a that's a really great organization. Um, and, you know, there's lots of, lots of, if you go onto the website, you'll be able to see lots of different convenings that we've hosted. Yeah. Our YouTube channel has all of those, but we do have some of the best and most credentialed experts in the world talking about this, but we also have some wow. of the practitioners doing the work itself. Yeah. And I would always say that to anybody, you know, we, this conversation has been a delight and, but this is the easy bit. The yeah. hardest bit is being in a human system. Yes. Company, organization, team, school, university. Those and changes. It's, it's the, the dynamics, the, once the human dynamics are in there. When I was a school principal, I always used to joke that the, my easiest days were Saturdays because there's no, no humans there, right? Yeah. But that's, it's actually the joy that we should all get as well out of doing this work exactly. is that it's the connection that we can create and the growth that we can see in ourselves and our colleagues. Right. That's, that's the bit that should inspire all of us. You know, it's interesting. I just thought about this. I was like, I've not even asked you like how to change organizations, but in all honesty, the reason I didn't ask that I thought of it was that, you know, it's, it really comes down to that level of personal, you know, the, the way that people are treating each other and that mental capacity, yeah. as opposed to like huge organizational change, if everyone was just kinder. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's exactly it. And of course the way I would frame that Kelly, I would say we can't change organizations organizations can only change themselves to say if I've learned anything in this journey so far as a teacher you can't teach anybody anything all you can do is create conditions and an experience where people choose to learn and this is why agency and co-design uh, are just such critical pieces on this we can't just send a memo and be like that's right. now the new thing well we can do that it's just right. not going to be nearly but as no, no people might not interact with that in the same way right because we've talked about this like everyone learns differently. Um, you know, some people might absorb someone that's, that's talking at them or a memo yeah. or something that they're reading. And there's, there's time and space for that. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah. but there are a lot of people that don't, um, and, or again, it's not necessarily their fault. It could just be their background. Um, mm. and some things that led up to where they are today, that's causing them issues with seeing something a certain way. So I agree that it's that like, co. you know, yeah, I love that. Co the cope. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like agency. It's, yeah do you feel like you have a, that you can make change? You know, like that's an efficacy question. Do you feel like you can make change? And what, what I've seen in some of the wonderful leaders I've worked with and educators that I've worked alongside is that it's the people that think they can change the world, the classroom, who are the ones that actually do. Yeah. That's why I'm an action-based optimist because you know, optimism or pessimism, great. Glass half empty, half full. It kind of doesn't matter. The point is you can refill the glass and we should be taking actions as leaders, as educators, as whoever we are, whatever role that we play to try to make things a little bit better. And, you know, every, every action that we, we take does make some form of change. A conversation, a nod, you know, uh, you're sitting down with, your, with a child or, you know, it's amazing. And sometimes we just don't know how profound that one interaction can be and yes. i'm sure we haven't got to that but we probably all, you know, all we have a story right of how we all have a story multiple yeah absolutely about a moment that that other person may not even realize and i've had mm -hmm. i have had some wonderful moments where people have said to me you know ex-students have come to me and said thank oh. you for changing my life and you you know as an educator that's yeah. why you do the work and as yeah. a leader ultimately i think it's the same question yeah no that's always wonderful I, am, I almost want to say like, what a wonderful note to end on. But I do want to ask, like, is there anything else sure. that you'd like to share with us as some parting words? Because there, everything has been so fantastic, but I feel like I just want to pull more from you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're always welcome, Kelly. If any of it's useful is another question. Uh, what I would say, yeah, you know, I, I do think it's, it's the old saying that in you know, the way we live our days is the way we live our lives and I think to your point about the practices that you've brought into your own life so in whatever roles and different hats that we play and we all have multiple identities that we should be able to step into and 
be seen and accepted for. What, what is it that, what is it that you want to contribute to the world? You know, like it's a kind of contribution question. I think that's the, if we can ask ourselves better questions, that's a good point way to start. Um, And if we say, you know, when you're leaving that job, uh, when you're, you're retiring from work and maybe even when we're leaving this world, what is it that you want to have contributed? Mm-hmm. And if we can get that question, and I mean that question in all different settings, including in big corporations, mm-hmm. that we need to shift the economic models that currently exist, in my view, for a range yep. of sustainability reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably my offer would be, how do we ask ourselves better questions, including what is the contribution we want to make to our world, our community, and to ourselves? That is fabulous. Well, I am so, I just thank you. I know that we could go on and on. I, <laughs> I do. We really could. I know. <laughs> One of People have to endure more. To I'm sure we'll get together at some event or another. But, um, but I really thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today, Luca. It's just been such a pleasure. I hope everyone's getting as much out of this as I am because it's amazing. Um, for those of you who'd like to follow Luca, you can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Luca Perry. That's L-O-U-K-A-P-A-R-R-Y. And also on his website, lucaperry.com. I know he mentioned Karanga, which I'm butchering with my American accent, uh, karanga.org. I'm going to post this all when I post this on social media with the links. And also the learningfuture.com. Those are the places that you can find him. Um, definitely go and keep tabs because there's more to come, I'm sure, on your journey, Luca. Um, And I just want to thank everyone today for listening in to Let's Talk About Skills Baby. Um, You guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would absolutely love if you went on, left a review. Um, If you subscribed, absolutely would appreciate it. And any feedback would be wonderful. You can find me right here as I try to point with my screen um, on (laughs) Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at Kelly R. Bailey. Thank you all again and have a wonderful day.